It takes a village to raise a child. Anybody heard that before? It takes a village to raise a child. They're not sure where that saying comes from. They think that it could be an African proverb. But it's this idea of everybody who's part of a child's life is part of forming who they become. The, the, the babysitters, the aunties, the uncles, the grandparents, the friends, your friends' parents. There's just something about important people who shape who kids become. And on this Mother's Day, I, I think perhaps we're reminded on days like today how so many times the community does work together to become spiritual mothers and fathers, to be mentors, to shape people and raise them up, to, to lift them up. In fact, um, my parents didn't know I was going to say this, but my parents are here today and they brought friends with them. And they're all retired now, but back in the day, what they did was they invested in student ministry. And I couldn't help but think of Aaron as he was talking about 15 to 20-year-olds today. And here Aaron is this next generation of what my parents and their friends used to do with raising up young people and what Sarah and uh, Mayor Sarah is doing with Kid City. And we, we, we come together and we help each other. And I know the Kid City team and the youth group adult volunteers would say, we're investing in the lives of young people and we're, we're seeking to raise them up. It takes a village to raise a child. Today we're looking for our fourth and final week at Luke 15 on the parable of the prodigal son. This was the story that Jesus told to illustrate some important points he wanted us to know. This is our final week on this, and we've talked about how prodigal means this lavish wastefulness just wasting things and not using things wisely. And it's this story about a young man who left home. He went away from the house of his father. He went away from his village. And he went away to a far country. And it was while he was there that he spent all he had. He took his father's inheritance, which was just a shocking and terrible thing to do. He spent all he had. He squandered it. And in that process, he eventually found out all the friends who had enjoyed being his friend in the good times are not his friends in the bad times. He is alone. He is hungry. He doesn't have a place to go. He hits bottom. And so he decides to humble himself, to humble himself and to return home. And when he returns home, he is joyfully, joyfully welcomed by his father. It takes a village to raise a child. And in this story, there are a couple villages. There's the village that he belongs to, his community, his people, the people that are, we're going to hear about a little bit later on in this parable. But there's another village, too. There's the village in the far country. There's the community that he goes to be a part of that isn't ultimately where he really belongs. So the parable goes like this. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. So he leaves. He leaves his home. He leaves his father. He leaves his brother, who we read about a little later in the parable. And he leaves his village. He leaves the place, he leaves the community where he belongs. Now, you know how things go when you leave a place you aren't supposed to leave. When you start doing what you're not supposed to do, when you start acting out and being all that, and you start doing all the things that, you know, what does your village do? Your village who has helped raise you? Your village who has helped shape you and feed you? And you start going and doing your own thing? What does the village do? 
they shake their heads and they say, no, 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 no. And you know how people talk. The village would have had opinions about this. They would not have approved. They would not have liked it that this young man had said, hey, dad, give me the inheritance that I'm going to get when you die. They wouldn't have liked that. They would have had some opinions about that. And then he leaves them. He leaves them and he says, this community isn't for me. I don't like what's here. I want something different. The son has rejected the village. And he sets off for a distant country, a different village. And it's here that he finds this, a new community, an alternative community, a community that's not going to have the aunties and the uncles breathing down his neck and saying, hey, young man, don't do that, but a community that's going to say, go ahead, feel free. And in this alternative community, the one where he doesn't belong in, this is the wrong crowd, you might call it. This is when the friends that you hang out with are the ones who aren't walking with the Lord. And, and if ever you have had a season of rebellion in your life, or a season in which people close to you have been walking in rebellion, then perhaps you've experienced something like this, where the community that you're supposed to be part of isn't your primary community, and you wander off to this far country, and you end up in an alternative community, and all of a sudden you have different friends, and you have different influences, you have different people that you hang out with, and everything seems fine at first. Everyone's having fun. Everyone's spending money. Everyone's doing what they want to do. And for a while, you think things like, I have freedom here. This, I, this is, these are my people. These people finally understand me. Those people back home, they, they didn't understand me. These people, they, they get me. This is what I've been looking for. But as often happens when we're in alternate communities where we don't truly belong, it doesn't always end up as good as we think it will. And that's what happens to this man. He runs out of money, and all of a sudden, he also runs out of friends. He bottoms out. It says after he spent everything on top of all of losing his money, then there's a famine, and then everything just it goes from bad to worse, and nobody is there when he needs them. So, the scripture says in verse 15, he hired, he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fiel fields to feed pigs. So he then goes to a person, a citizen of that alternative community, and all that this citizen can offer is pigs. The alternate community just continues to let him down. So he hits bottom. Things aren't good. He's at his lowest point of the low. And then we have that phrase that for these last four weeks, every time we get there, we just smile and take a deep breath. Because we have that phrase in verse 17 that says, when he came to his senses. When he came to his senses. When he came to his senses, he said, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? You, you've heard the story. We've talked about it the last few weeks. He says, what am I doing here? I'm hungry. If I just go back home, if I can just be a servant at home, then I'll at least not be hungry. I don't even need to be a son anymore. I'll just be a servant. And so he makes a decision to go home, to turn his heart toward home, to turn his body back toward home, and to begin that humble, humiliating walk back home through his village to the house of his father. I want to begin today with three lessons for returning sons. Perhaps you've been in a position of being a lost son, of being away from the home, being away from the home of the father, not being at 
part of the Father's house, not doing the things you're supposed to do, not living the life that you know you need to be living deep down. And there are three lessons for those who are returning. Lessons for returning sons, number one. Your sin hurts your village too. Now, I think when the son was getting ready to leave, he wasn't really thinking about how his choices were going to affect other people. Maybe he thought about, oh, dad's going to be mad at me. Or maybe he thought about, my brother's not going to like this. But he didn't really think it all the way through. Because who gets hurt when he leaves the village? Well, his father is hurt, his brother is hurt, but also the village is hurt. The village is going to be affected by his sin. We'll see that when he comes back, that the village will be affected by his return. They are affected by his absence. He causes offense to the entire community by saying, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be part of you anymore. I need to get out of this place. So he leaves them all. And I think that we often make this mistake in our own lives. We think, I'm going to do this thing. I'm kind of going to go my own way. And maybe it's not the right thing, but this is just between, this is nobody else's business. This is just about me. This is just about me doing my thing, and it's no one else's business. The village doesn't have any say in my life. This, you stay, you butt out. You don't get in my way. I'm going to do my own thing. And we think, if I'm sinning, it's just going to hurt maybe me and God, or maybe me and one other person. But I think this parable reminds us that we live in community. And that means that when we follow God, it has an effect on our community. And when we don't walk with God, it has an effect on our community. So the first lesson is your sin hurts your village too. The second lesson is sin lures you into an alternate community. It's where you're not supposed to be. And it might be fun at first. I mean, that's why he stays in the far country for as long as he does. It's because it's fun. He likes it there. Things kind of go well for a while. It's enjoyable. But ultimately, it's not going to last. And ultimately, we'll find that it's empty. Number three, the third lesson for returning sons is when you come to your senses, you'll need to reconcile with your village too. Last week, we talked about how the younger son doesn't seem to have any concern for reconciling with his older brother. When he is in the far country and he hits bottom and he's getting ready to turn around and come back, what does he say he's going to do? He, say, he says he's going to humble himself and he's going to go and apologize to who? His father, right, which is good because the father's in charge. Like, that's appropriate that he's there. But we don't hear any mention of him really paying any attention to the damage he's causing to his older brother or the, or the fact that he's going now to his older, the estate that now belongs to his older brother and everything that's there is really his older brother's and he doesn't seem to be worried about his older brother relationship. And he also doesn't seem to be thinking at all about what it might mean to return to this community that he is rejected. And so he has to reconcile with his village too. He has to deal with other people's opinions. Because the funny thing that happens is when your community, when it's your village that's been part of pouring into your life, when your village knows that you've been in a far country, they're going to have some opinions about if and when you come back. And they're going to want to have a say in what that looks like. So the only disadvantage of his return is He's going to go to his father, and he's going to hope that that goes well, but he also has to face the village that he has failed, the village that he has left behind and avoided, 
And it's very possible that his re-entry will be embarrassing and that people could be cruel to him. But he figures his only choice is that or death. So he makes a decision to go home. And as the scripture tells us in verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. So picture the son in the far country, trying, thinking about coming home, said, and here is the house of the father. And here is the village. And in order to re-enter back into town, the son has to walk through the village in order to get to his father's house. Now the father has left his house and has come out and has been watching, looking off into the distance and waiting and hoping that his son will have a change of heart and will return home. So the father is out here seeking to bridge the gap. And when his father sees him from a distance, what does he do? He runs. He runs. And he runs through this village, and I just imagine him yelling, He's coming! He's coming! Everybody get ready! He's coming! And the father just puts himself in this position of of no dignity. He's not this father who's stuck up in the house saying, All right, well, he's going to come to me, and then he's going to get a piece of my mind. He's not saying, He's going to come to me, and then I will condescend to forgive him. He says, I'm going out there. I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to get him. And if he chickens out at the edge of the village, I'm going to grab his arm, and I'm going to pull him in. And he runs from the house, and he he runs out into the fields, and he runs through the village. And I just imagine him saying, everybody, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And that people come out to see what the ruckus is. And this father finds his son and embraces him. Now, what do nosy neighbors do when there's a little bit of drama going on in the neighborhood? In my neighborhood, you go out to your front porch and you watch. Just happened this week. A little bit of drama, a little bit of noise, a little bit of police cars, a little bit of marijuana, a little bit of something. And so you come out and you check out what's going on. And so they're watching as this father embraces his son. And can you imagine what it would have been like for the son if the father hadn't been here? And if the son just had to kind of walk head low, while well, all the neighbors came out and stared. But this time, what's happening here is the son has an arm around his shoulder and a father who has prepared a path and says, come on, let's go home. And it's in this act that the father is preparing a way for the community to re-engage with the son. The father becomes the bridge between the son and the rest of the village. The father helps the wayward one be reconciled to the village again. There's this, this picture of running the gauntlet. And it's this idea of running through an intimidating situation in order to reach a goal. And the father runs the gauntlet for the son and brings him back through. What happens next is the father then brings his son into the house. And then there's a whole other set of people that have to be reconciled to this, to this young man who has returned. There are three different things that happen here that show us what, what's, what's going on with this reinstatement to the village. 
The father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Verse 23. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. My son, the father said, uh, and then, excuse me. Uh, so then he talks about the servants, and then he talks about the calf, and then there's a third interaction that he has with the older brother. And if you remember from last week, what happens is the older brother hears the sounds of a party happening, and he says, what's going on? And somebody tells him, hey, your brother came home, and older brother is not happy about this. Father comes out and says, says older son, please, please, please come in. Your brother was lost. Please come in. And the father says in verse 31, My son, the father says, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So the three things that happen here is a situation with the servants, a situation with the calf, and a situation with the older son. We talked about lessons for the returning sinner. Let's talk about lessons for the village. Perhaps you identify with being part of a community in which there's somebody who has been away from home, somebody who's been away from the father's house. And maybe you've had an opportunity, probably if you've been in a Christian community for any length of time, at some point you have been a village. And you've had an opportunity to decide, how am I going to act when the prodigal comes back? Lessons for the village. Let's look at the servants. So imagine the father standing here with his arm around his son, talking to his servants and saying, hey, servants, look at this. Look who's here. Remember him? And they're like, yep, we remember him. And he says, look who's here. It's time to have a party. And I just imagine the servants over here saying, "Uh, maybe, not sure how we feel about this. Do you remember what he did to you? Do you remember how he treated all of us? But the father isn't going to listen to any of that. The father says, everybody, we're going to have a party. So here's what I want you to do, servants. I want you to go and get my party clothes. Get my, par- my party robe, and you're going to put it on him. And you're going to take my ring, and you're going to take the sandals, and you're, gonna put, you're going to clothe him because he is my son, and you're going to help make this happen. And the servants are willing to be led by their master, and they do these things and end up entering into the party themselves. Lesson number one for the village is number one, follow the father's lead in merciful forgiveness. Follow the father's lead in being merciful. Now they could have stopped right here and said, you know, master, we're not sure if we agree with what you're doing. We do this all the time to God, people. We We tell God all the time we're not sure we agree with him. We, we're not sure if you should really be that gracious. And so we're just going to think about it for a minute before we end up helping you welcome him back. Like, it's okay that he's back, but we're not sure if we're going to, like, make a big deal about it. We're not sure if we like it that much. But they don't do that. They follow the father's lead and get into the celebration. They say, the master says it's good, so it's going to be good. And church, I think we need to follow the Father's lead in merciful forgiveness. I think we need to be mindful of holding grudges. I think we need to be mindful of, of having our evaluations of how we're going to assess whether we think something should happen the way it does or not. 
I think it can be hard for us to offer merciful forgiveness when we have been offended, when we have been scorned, when we have been left behind, when we have been treated badly. The servants were not treated well by this man who thinks he can just go off and do his own thing. And it sounds all very nice to talk about this in a parable. I mean, it's a parable, right? So it's not real life, right? So, so we talk about things like, oh yeah, let's just be very merciful. Let's just forgive everybody. But let's talk about the reality of what that feels like. Because sometimes we ask questions like, how do I know if they're really repentant? How do I know if they really mean it? We say things like, we will forgive the, that son if he crawls back on his hands and knees. If he looks like he's groveling enough, then we can forgive him. If we can judge and assess that he is repentant enough to meet our standards, then we will receive it. But we want him to prove it. How bad does he really feel? If he feels just a little bit bad, then that's, that's not good enough. But if he feels really bad, then that's okay. And maybe they're asking questions like, well, how do we know he's going to change for good? We ask this at City Life. We ask this a lot. How do we know they're going to change for good? How do we know it's not just, you know, the flavor of the day? How do we know it's going to last this time? And the parable doesn't give us any hope for answers to any of these things. We don't know how sorry the son is. We know the son is really sorry when he's hungry and he's in the pig pen. We don't know how sorry he is when he gets home and finally has a square meal in his belly. We don't know how sorry he really was. We don't know from the parable if he stayed sorry or if he started being a little bit of a jerk again two weeks later. We don't know. And here's the thing. I think sometimes these questions matter. Sometimes these questions matter. But sometimes they don't. And this parable seems to encourage us that perhaps these questions don't matter quite as much as we think they do. And this parable pushes us toward the end of being radically forgiving, radically receptive, radically joyful for the return of a lost brother or sister. And I think we would be wise to take our cues from the Father. I think we would be wise to follow the Father's lead and say, if we have to err on one side or another, let's err on the side of merciful forgiveness. How about you? Is there anyone in your life who's trying to humbly follow Jesus again, but you're going to want to see if they're going to prove it. Uh, is there anyone you're holding a grudge against? Is there anyone, anyone whose sins you're having trouble forgiving? And you would really like to put yourself in the position of evaluating if they're sorry enough and evaluating if they're going to be redeemed enough. But I think this parable challenges us towards saying, you know what, let's let God figure that part out. And let's us lean into the side of merciful forgiveness and bring the robe and, and put that ring on their finger and put those shoes on their feet. We don't have promises of how you're going to turn out, but we can be faithful in this moment, and that's what we're going to do. 
And so we follow the Father's lead in merciful forgiveness. Psalm 103, we've read this a few times in this series. But it's a good reminder that the Lord does not treat us as our sins deserve. Can I just say that again? The Lord does not treat you as your sins deserve. He does not repay you according to your iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on you who fear him. Follow the Father's lead in merciful forgiveness. You have been forgiven mightily. That's the servants. The, the second thing we see the Father doing with, with the village here is he talks about the, the fatted calf. He says, take the, take the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. And this, the fatted calf doesn't get killed for any old family holiday. You don't kill the fattened calf for Mother's Day. You don't kill the fattened fat calf for Christmas. You kill the fattened calf for a really, really, really big party with a lot of people. I asked somebody in first service to see if they could help me figure out how many people does a fattened calf feed. So we had an idea of the scope of this. And uh, Bill Odette says, Wikipedia says, that one, one cow feeds 2,300 people. So we're talking about a party. So when somebody is killing the fattened calf, it is the cue to the whole neighborhood, hey, we're all going to eat. Bring your plate because we're going to fill it up. And this is for everybody because they don't have refrigerators. Everybody's going to eat. And so they kill the fattened calf. And it's this idea that everybody's supposed to come to the party. This is not a little private party where the intimate family is just going to be, oh, like, we're so happy that son came home. We're just so happy all together. This is a national news, whole village. Village needs to celebrate here that son is home and the calf is being killed and we're all going to have a party. You're all invited. You're all supposed to come. I think the rule of thumb that this teaches us is that when a lost person comes home. Rather than keep our distance, we need to run toward them. Rather than be villagers who just keep, keep, keep our distance, say, oh, good for you, young man, good for you. Instead of, you know, being happy from afar, or maybe even being critical from afar, like, okay, well, let's find you here now. We'll see how it goes. Instead of being that, we run toward. We run toward Everyone is encouraged to celebrate. The Father is about restoring repentant sinners, not just so the Son can come back into the house, but so that the Son can become part of the community again. That's what this is about. The third lesson for the village is that repenters must be celebrated. Repenters must be celebrated. I, I've been thinking a lot about this point in, in the last few days because I don't know that we do this. When do we have repentance parties? 
When do we have parties for people who have repented and come back to following Jesus again? The closest thing I could think of was maybe baptism, where we, we celebrate, you know, leaving a life of sin behind and coming to follow Jesus. Like that, I think that's kind of one. But what about in general? Like, we need to practice repentance as just a way of living. We're all constantly finding ourselves in a position of needing to repent and return and get back in line with God again. Where are our repentance parties? We keep these things so private. We keep our sin more, we try to keep our sin more private, even though other people know and are affected by it. But we also keep the restoration quiet. What if we became the kind of church, maybe this is weird, but what if we became the kind of church that had more repentance parties, celebrating the return, the welcome, a welcome home party? A we're so glad you're back party. A party that acknowledges you were pretty messed up for a minute, but we're so glad you're back. What if we became really good at repentance parties? And I found myself just thinking, what, what kind of villagers are we going to be? Are we going to be the kind of village, villager who says, great, it's a repentance party. Come and eat up. We're going an- to have another celebration. Let's enjoy it. Let's be that way. Or are we going to be the kind of villagers who say, so so he's back? Are we going to be the kind of villagers who say, I'm not sure I can condone this party? Or are we going to be the kind of villagers who say, I'm just not in a party mood. Like, I just don't feel like it today. I I just want to focus on me. I don't want to be focused on the other people in the village, and I don't want to be part of that. The father runs toward the lost son who is returning. What if we started running in the same way? We've talked about how this parable is the third parable in a set of three. There's the the first parable Jesus tells is the parable of the lost sheep, then he tells the parable of the lost coin, and then he comes to this parable of the lost sons. And the first parable about the sheep, Jesus says to them, Luke 15, verse 3, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. How does he put it on his shoulders? Joyfully. And then he goes home. I mean, just, just picture, <gasps> sheep, <gasps> big joy. Pick up the sheep, big smile. On his face as he carries the sheep. He joyfully carries the sheep home. He found his sheep. And it says, then he calls his friends and neighbors together. What does he do to them? He calls them. Who does he call? His friends and neighbors together. And says, rejoice with me. I found my sheep. And Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The second parable, Jesus says, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors. What does she do? She calls who? Her friends and neighbors and says the same thing. Rejoice with me, I found my coin. This is not a private celebration. This is a news bulletin for the village. Rejoice! I found what was missing. It's time for a party. And Jesus says, in the same way I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
You know what these three parables have in common? Something's lost. Something gets found. And then there's a really giant party. And as villagers, we love it when the lost are found. But when have we had a party for it? When have we celebrated as big as what Jesus says we can? The Father is having repentance parties, and he says, heaven's having a party. Heaven's having a big party. Let's join in. You're invited. I want you to be at the party. I want you to quit evaluating if it's worth your time to go to the party. I want you to quit evaluating if it should be a party or if it should be a small party or a big party or if it's like kind of a medium party, if they're kind of medium repentant. I want you to quit doing that. He says, just come and celebrate because the lost are found. This, the lost coming home and the beginning of the party is not the end of the story. This is the beginning of the restoration. This is the point at which the, the son then goes on and begins to live his new life. He begins to have the restored relationships with the village and with his father and with his brother. This isn't the end. This is the beginning. There's a lot more to do. But the father is saying, okay, let's just pause a minute and just have a party. What if when a sinner comes back into our community, and church, we have this all the time, whether you are, whether, when you know more and more people in the church, you'll know more and more that these things happen. People do things and then they come back. I love the boomerang effect in our church. I, I wish we had people stay a little bit more, but we, have, we do have this kind of boomerang effect where sometimes people go through stuff and they're gone for a minute and they come back. We've had a lot of people who've gone and come back over the years because they know they can come back to this place. We want that. But what if when a sinner comes back into our community, a, a person who's been gone for a while, who's gone off and done their own thing, maybe it's even someone you've reached out to. Maybe it's someone... That they, they, maybe they've ignored your efforts and haven't responded to your messages. Maybe it's somebody who used you. That's happened in our community too. But maybe they're back. What if when a sinner returns, a repentant sinner returns to our community, what if we do what the Father does? What if when we see broken people humbly, humbly coming back, and it takes a good bit of courage to come back. It takes a good bit of of courage to say, I'm going to show my face again. I love it that people come back. But what if we do what the Father does? Not just stand back and say, okay, welcome back over there. What if we do what the Father does and we take off running and we run the gauntlet through other people and we put an arm around and we walk with them and welcome them back in and say, welcome home. Is this going to last? I don't know. Are you really repentant? I don't know but you are lost and now you're back again. You are lost and now you're back in the Father's house. You are lost and now you're, you're seeking to be reconnected with the Father again. That's good enough. Let's have a party. Heaven rejoices. Victories are being won every day. And as we have people who every day are being snatched from the jaws of the enemy, this enemy who comes to seek and to kill and destroy. He would love to keep people in the far country. He would love to make people in the far country think they can never come back. He, the enemy would love to inhabit the village and say, villagers, let's all get all, let's get all worked up about things and let's do what we can to just like put people in their place so they don't get like too much grace in the process. The enemy would love to mess with us that way. But heaven's rejoicing. Let's rejoice with heaven. Let's celebrate 
anyone who repents. Let's follow the Father's lead and let's run toward our brothers and sisters. Because it takes a village. It takes a village to have a Jesus kind of party. And it takes a village to welcome repenters home. Let's be those kind of people. And so, Lord God, our Father, our our merciful, gracious Father, we thank you, Father, that we can trust you to work out the details and the logistics of what reinstatement looks like. That we can trust you to judge perfectly. God, you work out consequences according to what you, what is right according to your standards. You are the judge of perfect justice. You are the perfect judge that is both just and merciful. And Lord, that is not our role to determine who gets in and out of your house. And so God, we seek to follow your lead, and I pray that in us you would develop the kind of compassion that runs toward those who are returning. We pray that you will help us be more generous in our love, just as you have been generous with us. I pray, God, that you will develop in us a greater humility and a greater mercy, just as we have been forgiven greatly, so you have forgiven us. Lord, I pray for our village here at City Life, that we'll be the kind of village that raises people up, that asks the hard questions, that makes a path for people to come back, that we'll be the kind of village that encourages each other when we're discouraged about wandering brothers or sisters. I pray that we'll become the kind of village who will celebrate, who will fully celebrate, and will learn to have godly repentance parties. And Lord, one final prayer today for those who find themselves as the lost son in this story. Lord Jesus, as as they navigate the, the questions surrounding what it means to be connected to the village, Lord Jesus, we pray for, we don't even need to pray for your mercy and grace because it's already there. But I pray for your ability, that you will give the ability to those repentant lost ones who are coming home to receive and experience and drink up the extravagant, prodigal, almost even wasteful mercy and grace that you have made available to us. Without you, God, none of us are anything. Thank you. Amen.